Welcome to You Rise Me Up, a podcast about Asian Europeans from all walks of life. I'm your host Ching, a German-born Chinese. Today with me, Nyok Ein Nguyen, better known under her stage name, Another Nguyen, who is a German-born Vietnamese musician and former social worker. Growing up in a small town in Saxony, it took Nyok Ein time to find herself and her voice as a person and artist. Her journey brought her from Germany to Vietnam, the United States, and eventually to Berlin. Today, she releases electropop music as a freelance artist and empowers others through her music. Nyok Ein, it's a pleasure for me to have you here. So as you know, I came across your profile on Instagram and felt very inspired by the fact that you used to be a social worker and then became a musician, which is very unusual, but also super interesting. So thank you for taking part in the podcast. Of course, thank you for inviting me. I was really surprised when I got your request and I'm really excited that you're building up this podcast right now. I'm, I'm an avid podcast listener and it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you and to share my story with you. Thank you, Nyok Ein. Nyok Ein, you mentioned that you grew up in a small town in Saxony. What was it actually like for you growing up there? Well, it was quite isolating, I would say, because... My family was the only Vietnamese family and also just foreign looking family for the longest time there. And I mean, I remember growing up and I had something like a German adoptive grandmother. She didn't adopt me, but my parents, you know, they were selling at a market every Friday and they met this old German lady who got to know our family since I was born. And I somewhat grew up with her like a German Oma, you know. I would go on the weekends to her and I guess this was my entry to German culture. She would read stories to me and stuff like that, which was really nice. But on the other hand, once I got to school, I realized that I was very different. And it started off with some kids not wanting to hold my hands because they looked brown. And someone said, I don't want to touch her so my hands don't get brown or something like that, you know? So those were my early experiences <laughs> with racism, sadly. And so I guess that led to me just wanting to fit in and being as German as possible. And I remember thinking that the more German I act, maybe they won't recognize that I'm different or maybe they will forget that I'm different or maybe they will see that I'm still worthy and worth to be hanging out with. Oh, <laughs> so sad. No, it's just because I know exactly what it feels like because my family was actually also the only Asian family in town for some time. And my siblings and I, we just stood out, you know? Yeah, so I felt really touched because I can really relate to that, even though no one has ever said that to me. But Nyong An, how did your upbringing then influence your journey as a musician and social worker? So what I noticed, because the other day my current promoter asked me some questions about how I came to music, what are my earliest childhood memories, and I realized that one of my earliest memories is my dad singing karaoke. <laughs> he loved singing karaoke and he still does. And so I grew up in a household where singing was normal. And maybe that helped me to be comfortable singing as well, because I would see my dad put on music all the time and sing. And I was very lucky that when I discovered instruments and I was very curious about learning how to play the keyboard, taking vocal lessons and learning the piano. And I was 10 at that time that my parents were quite supportive of that. And from then on, I just found music as a vessel that brought me a lot of joy and where tying over to the experiences of racism that I made, I always felt that music was my way to connect with people 
and where I felt, oh, I can sing well. So if they hear how great I sing, they will see me as a person. It ties over to that, you know, because I knew that people would listen to me and they would like it. And somehow music was a little connected to maybe then they accept me. And then how did your upbringing influence your journey as a social worker? That's going to be a little personal, but um, growing up, I had a lot of conflict with my parents because we didn't share the same language. As I grew up in the small town, I only spoke German and I wanted to be as German as possible, as I told you. So I refused to speak Vietnamese while my parents still spoke Vietnamese to me. So it was a little bit of a one-way street or I would understand somewhat what they were saying, but not really. There was a lot of misunderstanding and I would talk back in German. So there's already a lot of miscommunication on the language side of things and then also on the cultural side of things. So my parents thought I was a lost child because I didn't listen to them. I would raise my voice and they would say that I'm misbehaving, that I'm a naughty child. And what are you learning in school? You know, and I would say, well, in school, we learn to speak up for ourselves. And so I grew up having a lot of arguments with my parents. I was also the oldest child. So everything they experienced for the first time with me and little things like that I would have a male friend because you have male and female friends at school was a big deal where they would just yell at me for no reasons, in my opinion. And also I did experience violence. They would hit me or they would just degrade me and talk down, say that I'm stupid. And that was really hard, you know, and I used to feel like at home there was a lot of darkness and shame. I felt like I don't want to be part of this family. And outside, though, I had a lot of friends. I was a happy person, you know, very charming. But no one would know what's going on at home. And I also wouldn't share because I didn't want people to think bad about my family. So there was a time as a teenager where I thought, oh, I just wished there was someone who could talk to my parents, who could explain to them that I'm just growing up in a different way here. And I thought if only there was someone who could speak both German and Vietnamese, who could mediate between us and who could tell them you shouldn't hit your kids. And back then I didn't know that social workers existed, but I know that growing up I had wished there was someone who could help like a neighbor. And only later on, as I finished high school and I started studying somewhere else and I dropped out of that and I was very lost, I started slowly looking into other fields of studies and I had friends who studied social work at the time. And then I realized, oh, this sounds interesting, social work. It's got something to do with helping people, which I really like. But at the time, I just didn't want to start studying yet because I had just dropped out of a major and I felt like a big failure. And I just didn't want to get into a new program before I was really sure. And I had some practical experience. But then that's how it led me to go to Vietnam, where I did a voluntary service for a year. I learned the language. I learned about my culture, my history, and so on. And eventually studied social work. And then that's when only later I started realizing, oh, there's something like a caseworker, someone who does go to families, who advises them and who talks about how to treat children with respect and raise them with <laughs> worth. <laughs> oh, okay. I was wondering, I mean, 
you experienced so much violence and difficulties in your childhood and upbringing and had a difficult relationship with your parents. And then you went into other families who were going through the same. It must have been a very emotional experience and it must have reminded you of your own childhood as well. And I was wondering how you actually drew that line between the personal and the professional, given like how intensely emotional this kind of work is. Yeah, so when I first started the job as a caseworker in Vietnamese families, I was very touched when I first got to meet my team. It was called the Vietnam Team. It was a group of people who were mixed as in first-generation Vietnamese, so people who came to Germany, and then others like me who were born here and grew up in Germany as second-generation Vietnamese German. And I was very touched because sometimes when I would go to the families with my adult coworkers. They would be very understanding and they would talk about how important it is to value your kids and to not beat them. And I would feel emotional thinking, oh my God, you're like an auntie or uncle or a mom that I would have needed myself. <laughs> and in the team, every Monday, we would talk about what we came across in the different families, what are themes that we don't know yet how to deal with them. So we brainstorm as a team how to solve certain things. And I remember thinking, wow, this is so amazing. I can be part of this, of helping another generation growing up, maybe with a little bit more peace and support. And on the other hand, I thought I never had that when I grew up. And so it made me really emotional. <laughs> But to be also very practical, I knew that social workers with more language skills are very needed and I really needed money so I could finance my music studies. So it was just really clear that I want to stay in this job. And it felt nice knowing that in a job that I'm doing just to make money, quote, quote, I'm also doing something with a really great purpose that's helping my community. At the time, I was already studying music, which was my second studies. And it was a private school where I had to pay for a tuition fee and also pay for my living expenses. So I knew that actually I'm doing this job to finance my music studies. So I should be focused on my studies. And that did help me to set a boundary once the job was done so that I would go home after a visit at a Vietnamese family and just clear out my mind and go back to music. And how do you relate to the Vietnamese culture now? Because you mentioned before that you really rejected the Vietnamese part of you growing up. I would say now it feels like it's just a very natural part of me. It started off with, I'm not Vietnamese at all. <laughs> it went over to, I only want to be Vietnamese. I hate Germany <laughs> or I'm not white. That's when I was in Vietnam. And then I figured though, well, I am both because I did grow up in the West and I can't deny that. And I also don't want to anymore. I guess it also took me another in-between step of going to California and being immersed to the Asian American community where I was able to have role models, professors that were Asian and that were successful and smart and already ahead in their careers to see that they can do all of that while they're also Asian. And it's part of them, but it also isn't the only factor that's special about them. Then being in my very international music school, nowadays I don't think as much anymore about my identity. I feel very privileged that I'm able to feel like that, at least in Berlin, in my circles. 
And how do you relate to your parents now? With my parents, I know that when they came to Germany, they were really, really young and they came here with no family support. They didn't have their parents around when they became parents. And so I empathize that they were just really young and just trying to figure out life. They had to bring in the money and they just didn't have time to care for us. I used to have a lot of anger towards my parents when I was younger. I don't feel it anymore. However, sometimes, especially now, as I'm building up my freelance life, trying to make it work in music, sometimes I do wish that I had more guidance or that my parents could ask me more about how's everything going, but they just don't understand this world. And sometimes it feels that it's a little bit isolating, but also I'm not mad at them, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think I can very much relate to some of your experiences because I think there are quite some similarities between Asian families and that usually when you're part of like another generation that is growing up in another country, you didn't experience like the hardship that they went through. And even though what they sometimes do might seem very harsh, you eventually realize that that is because they had it harder than we did. And I'm not sure about your parents, but my parents, for example, they got married very young and got children very young because that was the standard back then. And I sometimes ask myself, how much can you realistically know about yourself and the world when you're like, 23, right? What do you know about like raising children or like being like a good parent? And then again, on top of that, most of our parents, they were so busy working. I think they barely had time to take care of themselves and like their emotional well-being. And I think that the anger you describe sometimes when I reflect on my own childhood and upbringing, there are some things that pop up that do make me like angry or very sad. But I have also spent a lot of time like thinking about it, like you went through a journey eventually realize that they did the best they, they could at the time. And so now like all that anger, it's basically just gratitude. <laughs> yeah, I guess also something I'd just like to add in terms of how I've always wished that I had a little more guidance. On the other hand, though, it's what made me so proactive and go for things and just figure things out by myself. You know, I'd meet other people around my age or younger that were lucky to have very supportive parents. But then I see them struggling, finding their own path. And I know that I'm a go-getter and I will find solution to any problem. <laughs> same, honestly, same. But Nyokain, maybe to wrap up this part, what would you say have you learned from your time as a social worker and how has it influenced your music? I learned a lot. I learned so much about understanding society and all the different very intricate problems, struggles, forms of discrimination and whatsoever. It really helps me to see people and to not judge them. And also a lot that I learned throughout my social work studies and in my time in the US as well was leadership skills. I was always fascinated by movements and how can you inspire people to work towards something together. And I really get to use that a lot now in my music too. I'm writing my songs, but I work with producers so that they produce the music. I have to work with a videographer and I have to build my own teams to do my music videos. So in that sense, I become a leader. And my social work background really helps me to navigate the relationships in our teams. I feel very lucky that I've never had a major fallout or anything in the work that I've done. 
And I do think that it comes from the social work background, you know, learning how to communicate my needs, but also adjusting to other people's life realities, that everyone comes to work as a human that is very complex and where I don't think that you should just completely shut down your personal side when you come to work, but what happens in your private life influences how you show up at work today. And I think I always want to create a space where you can bring all of you. And I I have seen so far that it works that in my small teams, we're very tight and very supportive. And I think that's how it's also possible to create really cool stuff, even though I'm working with a very low budget. I guess because I learned a lot about the underrepresentation of people of color, of women in music and so on. I try to incorporate that into my music videos when I know that I'm going to have extras or an actor or anything that I try to have a diverse as possible cast, for example, to do my little part of more representation of Asians and people of color in mainstream pop because I do want to break into the mainstream. Yeah, and I'm also lucky that in my team so far, we're a good mixture of women, men, white people, Asians, and others, without me actively looking for a quote. So far, I've just been lucky that my surrounding is very mixed so that we can be mixed teams. A theme that I see now in my life, especially also since the interview I had with Veto magazine, is that I really want to empower people. And that's also a theme of social work, to empower people to help themselves so that you can be part of their journey. You can influence a little bit, give advice, but so essentially they can be on their own and do well. And I think that's something that I want to do with my music too. I want to just show my way of living so that others can see this is possible. And in my songs, I want to also empower people, make them feel good or share messages that I've only learned along the way as I'm growing older and that I might have needed to hear when I was younger. And I do want to write songs that have a meaning, you know? That's why also it takes me a lot of time to write songs. Sometimes I wish I could just pop them out like that, but I care too much about the message of the lyrics. And I guess that is also coming from my social work background. I really love the parallels you drew between your social work and your music. But Nyong An, when did you actually decide to quit your job in social work and go into music and why? I think that was a very slow and not as clear path as it might look like on the outside. So I think from the point on where I discovered playing keyboard and I started taking vocal lessons, I've been singing in choirs all the time. And I didn't think that I could live from music because also regarding representation, I only knew that there's jobs as music teachers or looking at Beyonce on TV, superstars. So I knew I didn't want to be a teacher and being a superstar <laughs> was really, really far away. So I just thought, okay, so music is not something that I could do professionally, but only over time. And especially when I was in California, LA, I met a mentor who was a Danish singer who moved to California doing choir work and who was a performer. He would make music from playing his own gigs, playing tours with his band, but also being a musical director at TV shows. And I realized there's a lot of in-between from being a teacher to being a superstar. Only then 
and I was already 24 at the time, I realized, oh, you could write your own songs. That's something I also didn't know. I never thought about songs just existed, you know, and I would sing them, I would cover them, but that you're able to write your own songs and that you can learn techniques, how to do it. That was something that I only learned at 24. And I was just really, really curious about that. And also while I was in LA, I did an internship at an Asian American nonprofit organization, which was amazing. And at the same time, I thought, wow, this is an opportunity I always dreamed of because it was like something focused on leadership education. And we had the opportunity to network with people in high leadership positions that were Asian American. And I remember there was this gala where we're also supposed to learn how to network and make connections with people. And I realized at this event that I really didn't care. I thought, I don't care how you made it to be the CEO of Coca-Cola company. And I thought, why are you so ungrateful? And I realized I was more inspired when I met people that told me, I used to study history, but now I'm becoming an illustrator. Or I studied whatsoever, and now I came to LA because I want to be an actress. That's when I was really inspired and curious, and I wanted to know how people came to that thought. And I used to think, how did you dare to change your path? Like, weren't you scared? And then I realized, oh my God, it's because I want to be a musician all along. <laughs> and also in Berlin, while I was in my social work studies, when I met people and, you know, you would introduce yourselves, what do you do? I just always felt regret when I said, I'm a social worker, but I really like to sing. And I always felt I wish I could say I'm a musician. But again, for a long time, it was just not an option. I couldn't see it. But I guess in California, I realized, I think I really need to give it a try or else I will always walk with regret. I just always felt a little bit of jealousy also when I met people who did a lot of music, who sang or where music was a very normal and natural part in their lives. So that's when I knew when I go back to Germany, I have to find a way to immerse myself in a musical environment. I also knew, though, that I didn't want to drop my social work studies because I had a scholarship and I knew I did learn a lot from it. It was a job with perspective. So I just came back to Germany and finished my studies and in the meantime, just researched for music school. And that also helped me to finish my bachelor thesis because I knew that after this half a year, I really want to start studying music. And so, yeah, that helped me. Wow. It always surprises me, like how much what another person says resonates with me, especially when it comes to like finding your passion or changing careers. Because I think I mentioned to you that I also change careers, right? And that is also part of the reason that I'm doing this podcast, because I felt like at every part of the journey, I felt like I was the only one. I was the only one struggling to find like a passion, what really matters to me. And then I meet people like you and other people that I've interviewed for this podcast who also struggled with the exact same thing, but all of us went through it alone. This like journey of realizing, oh, what I'm doing is not actually what I actually want to do. Or even like what you mentioned, the feeling of jealousy. I feel like jealousy really has a bad reputation in our society when I think that jealousy is good, like, I mean, like admiration is good. I think people should pay more attention to what they actually admire about another person, but also what they dislike about another person or want to have from another person, because I think it really tells you a lot. And I think in that 
sense, it also really helped me because for me, it was very similar in that I eventually realized, like I looked around me and I was like, even if they offered me my boss's job or my boss's boss's job, you know, I was like, I don't care. I don't want to be like you, you know? And then I met like random people that there were entrepreneurs, that were creatives, that were artists, you know, that I just absolutely admired and loved following and listening to and like reading. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I think I need to change. And then it went into like coding and so on. But I also realized, I think there's also a distinction that we need to draw between things that we like to do and things that actually give us energy as well, because they're not necessarily the same. I realized I was curious about it and I liked it. But eventually, similar to you, like with music, I realized, oh, you know, what really makes me happy is like when I write, like when I write, it gives me energy. It it makes me feel alive for some reason. It's like my way to connect with other people because recently I've been like writing more and people have like reached out to me and said like, oh, like, you know, really resonates with me. I just imagine that it must be like similar for you, your music. So I find it really interesting, like the parallels, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that too. Because when you say the differentiation between I like doing this, but this makes me feel alive, that really resonates with me because while I was doing social work and helping Vietnamese families, I also liked it. You know, I also felt, wow, this feels meaningful. I'm so happy that this kid has an older sister to look up to, so to say. At the same time, though, It just never compared to the feeling of when I was on stage and I would sing to people and I would be so nervous, but I feel alive, you know? I feel like I'm bringing people together and I love all the ups and downs of being nervous and preparing and being scared of not doing it well enough, but then being there and then hearing how people liked it and so on. And for a long time, that's also what made me doubt sometimes because I did think, well, but I'm doing something good with social work and I'm also doing it well. I know that I'm good at doing this. And, you know, my coworkers would always say, oh, Ngoc Aing, we're so sad that you want to do music actually because you could become a leader in our team or do this or do that. You're doing it so well. And, you know, they meant well. And I thought, yeah, maybe I should also consider doing this because the music is unclear. And also when I went into music school then, I had a lot of doubts at first because I thought I'm so old. You know, I was 25, but I thought I'm so old now. And it felt like now that I was in an all music environment, I felt like, oh my God, I'm so behind because things like producing, I never had thought about. And also, I just want to clarify, I don't produce my own music. I produce demos, but I hire producers to produce them for me. But I discovered producing at school. And at first I was really overwhelmed because it was also very technical. It's like this classic thing of maybe women being taught that you're not good at technical things and then being overwhelmed or something like that, you know. But I was very lucky that the head of music production was actually a woman and she was really fierce and badass. And that was really inspiring. And I just really wanted to learn from her and do well because of her. Anyway, so... The first two years in music school, I was actually really scared because I realized, oh my God, some of them are so much more confident than I am on stage. What am I doing? I I didn't know what sound I wanted to go for. I had just started writing songs, but it still takes a while to know what your voice is, you know, how you want to sound lyrically and how you want to sound sonically. And only over time, little by little, I felt like I was starting to get a hold on things. And uh, since then, I just gained more confidence in wanting to do the music path. But really, it was a step-by-step progress. It was never, now I knew that I'm going to do music. 
I knew that I wanted to try it, but there was always a little bit of, but I don't know if it's going to work out. Maybe I'll fail utterly. Maybe when I do it, I will realize I don't want to do it. I think only since 2021, when I started releasing my electropop music and I got to work with Sennheiser and I started doing more really professional things, I started to see, wow, it's possible. Or now I'm, I see myself being portrayed in an ad that's really professional and it's portraying my own story and someone else believed in me. So I guess I should believe in myself too. <laughs> yeah, I, speaking about your music, your stage name is Another Nguyen, which I find very entertaining. I think I understand the meaning behind it, but I want to hear it from you. How did you come up with it and what does it mean to you? Yeah, I came up with the stage name when I just came back from Vietnam. And I just knew that once I'm back in Germany, I want to be somewhat involved in doing things related to the Vietnamese community. And I just remember there was this blog that wrote about Vietnam and I wanted to contribute. So I had to come up with a username. And back then I just thought, oh, I'll just call myself another Nguyen because I am one of them. Because Nguyen is a very, very common Vietnamese last name. I think 40% of the whole population have this last name. So I'm one of them, but I'm also a little different, you know? So that's what I thought. And I guess when I started writing my own songs, then when I started playing live, I just stuck to this name. I thought it was nice. And somehow growing up, my last name was always written wrong in every school certificate, in every invitation. When I was invited as the artist, it was written wrong in all kinds of ways, which I always really hate it. By now, I know even German names get written wrong and people grow up with having to correct everything. But back in the day, connected with the racism I experienced, it really made me feel so uncomfortable. And even back in the days, people didn't call me Ngoc Aing, they called me Ein. And I used to refuse my name because I just thought it sounds so foreign and uh, I just don't want to have anything to do with it. And I guess the more I came to peace with being Vietnamese, the more I wanted to celebrate my name and the more I thought I want the world to know how Nguyen is written so that everyone just knows and it's part of cultural knowledge or something like that. And so I made it my mission to just become famous and <laughs> for that name to be known in the world. I do experience that, you know, people who know Vietnamese, they get it and I've gotten a lot of really nice responses of people finding it entertaining, like you say, or nice. But I do also see how people who don't know Vietnamese people have never come across that name. They don't know how to spell it. It's a bit difficult sometimes when I play gigs and I'm like, hi, I'm another Nguyen, and no one knows how to find me on Instagram. So have to find a solution for that. But Even though some people have advised me to change it because otherwise it's a bit difficult in the pop industry, I, I just want to stick with it. I like it. I like it too. I think it's really entertaining. And yeah, I think we could probably have a whole another conversation about names and identity because I really struggled with it too. But yeah, Nyok Ein, you mentioned earlier that you write your own songs. Which of your songs are your favorites so far if you had to name like two? Two. Okay. I think then I would say one of them is the latest release that I have, Irreplaceable, because I'm just proud of the writing process. So it takes me a long time to write the lyrics because I tend to get into a mindset of, oh no, I don't know how to fill this out and it's never going to work and this sucks. That's why it takes me really long when I have to come back, do it again. 
But with this song, I had already come up with a version that I was very happy with. So the song talks about a long distance relationship and feeling disconnected from your partner and wanting change where breaking up doesn't feel right, but being together also feels not great right now. And I had come up with a version that I was really happy with and my producer and I had already recorded lyrics. And so we were already in the finalizing of the track, but I was able to show it to the singer-songwriter Fink, who is a British, like he's quite known, but I was working with him at a songwriting camp and I just got to share the song with him. And after he listened, he said, ah, I think you can do better. And I was crushed. He said that, the second verse could have some improvement because the verse back then was a little bit more blaming towards the other person. And he said that the chorus message wasn't as strong yet. And hearing that at that time was really hard because I had a deadline in mind. You know, I wanted to finish the track, but I could see his feedback. So I just knew that he's right and I should go back in there. And because I'm always having such a hard time coming up with lyrics because I'm just criticizing myself a lot. I'm really proud that instead of going the easy way, I made myself go through that birthing pain once again to rewrite the lyrics. And so I'm really proud of that song. And then the other song I am really proud of isn't released yet, but it'll come out, I think in November or something this year. And that's called Motherland. And so that's a song where I talk about this feeling when I used to not want to be a Vietnamese, but coming to the realization of the treasure that I had growing up in two cultures. And I'm also very fortunate that I get to work in a film project still as a social worker. And in this film project, we flew to Vietnam in November last year and we shot a music video there. So I think that song is going to be very special. I hope for people who live in the diaspora. <laughs> I'm sure it will be. But Ayn, you told me in a previous conversation that you only really quit your job last year to become a full-time freelance musician and that you're just getting used to that. What is it actually like for you right now? Right now, I am full-time working on my project and I actually still can't quite believe that I'm doing that and that actually every day there's something to do for another Nguyen. And Last year, I was working in a mother-child care home doing night shifts, and it was actually really nice how I was able to work only two nights a week, and I was able to cover my living expenses from that. However, it was taking a lot of energy from me. And so I noticed how even though it's technically just two shifts a week, I am still just affected by the disrupted sleep, by the dynamics that I experienced there that I can't focus really on my work. And then at the same time, also something happened in my family that was just really shaking up everything. So I just knew I have to get rid of everything that distracts me so that I can really give it a go and focus on my music. Because especially when you're an independent artist without a management or a label, you're wearing a lot of different hats. And I knew that I just needed time to focus on all the different areas so that hopefully I can soon get to a publisher, get to a label or a booking agency. So I did a lot of maths, you know, and knowing that I need a time and how can I get by with grants maybe or with savings and so on. And so a lot of my life is 
juggling and doing maths and figuring out how can I just get by. So the price is that I don't have money, but the value is that I have time. What makes it difficult is that I really, really have to be aware of my spendings because not only do I need to make my living expenses, but I need to always think of project costs. You know, I'm hiring producers. I need mixing engineers and mastering. I need a camera guy. I need someone who edits, who does grading. I need to invest into promo and all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot of expenses to make music and to release it. And luckily for my music expenses, I have gotten grants last year and I just got another one confirmed this year in April, which is really nice. But yeah, so even with the grant that I'm getting, I will get like 6,000 euro to cover some expenses, but I also have to contribute my own 4,000 euro, which is uh, difficult because it's always this thing of I need time to work on my project. But then if I will get a part-time job, that will take away time from the project, but then I need money. And so it's just a lot of back and forth and dealing with uncertainty. For now, for example, I know that I'm covered until November, and then let's see what's going to happen. And what's next for you in terms of your music career? So right now I'm working on my EP, and for me, releasing this EP is somewhat, you know, making a statement on the new sound that I've embarked since 2021. And I'm really looking forward to that. I'm planning to have a big release concert, which would be my first headline show. And for me, playing a gig like that is my way to bring people together. And after that, I really hope to be able to get a booking agency soon, you know, who would help me to play at festivals and so on. And also, I would like to find a publishing house so that I could work more as a songwriter also for other artists. because. As much as I feel pain writing my own songs, I do love contributing to songs and also getting to know people through their music and through what they care about. And uh, that's how I would love to be part of songwriting camps, writing sessions, and so on. And yeah, I mean, if I think about the long-term future, I'd love to go on tour, of course. Yeah, there are different things for midterm, long-term future. I just don't know how much detail you'd like to hear. Whatever you'd like to share, really. But Nyuk Ayn, maybe to wrap up this conversation, what advice would you give to other social workers and musicians who also want to empower others? I would actually say that you need to focus on yourself first. Allow yourself to explore what makes you happy and what fulfills you. And by doing that, you will inspire others. I think that's the same also in social work because You can only give to other people and show up for them as long as you're also full. If you lose yourself because you want to help others, then no one wins, you know? I think that is a very important lesson. It is also something that I had to learn first. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's uh, very beautifully put. And another question I really like to ask at the end is, what advice would you give to your younger self? I think that I would just say it's okay to fail and to not know what you're doing. You know, I was always told, are you stupid? Or why didn't you do this? For that reason, I actually always want to play things safe and really know all of my options and not to make a mistake. But sometimes you just need to try it out and then see where it goes. I think 
you're only able to do that when you're not afraid to fail and when you're encouraged to explore and that no matter what comes out, it's okay. And from there, we'll see further. So I guess I would say it's okay if things don't work out. Yeah, that definitely resonates with me too. Thank you, Nyung Ayn. Thank you for sharing and for taking part in the podcast. Thank you for the conversation. <laughs> Thank you, Nyung Ayn. I will link your socials in the description. And if you're a listener and you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on whatever platform you're on because that would be very helpful. And of course, also check out Nyung Ayn's socials and drop a like or comment. And yeah, for this episode, instead of playing the outro music, we will play a teaser of Nyok Ayn's new song, Different, which will come out on the 22nd of September. Enjoy! Although we might feel